Hello, and welcome to our podcast series on how to drive multi-channel success. In this series, we're looking to explore a range of issues which you and your business are faced with every day. Three of us from Prospero and the multi-channel expert have pulled our expertise and experience of working with many brands over the last 20 years to come up with a set of practical suggestions and ideas that will help you deliver greater success in your e-commerce business. We really hope you find the discussion useful and we look forward to your feedback. In today's episode, we're going to explore one of the key drivers of success in today's multi-channel world, the subject of customer retention. Hi everyone, I'm David Warby and I'm from Prospero and I'm delighted that today we've got two guests joining us. We've got David Kong from the multi-channel expert and Mark Pinkerton from Prospero. Welcome to you both. Hello, I'm Mark from Prospero. And I'm David from the Multi-Channel Expert. You're both welcome, thanks for joining us today. Let's start, if we may, with one of the kind of easy questions around customer retention. Can you give me your sense of what customer retention is all about? Yes, uh, I'll, I'll pick that one up. I mean. For me, customer retention is about maximizing the proportion of your customer's basket and your customer's share of mind that you're able to extract from them. So for example, if you're a shoe retailer and your customer spends a thousand pounds on shoes in a year, you wanna get the highest possible proportion of that thousand pounds. And you don't just want it this year, you want it next year and the year after. That for me, is what customer retention is. That for me is what customer loyalty is. And from a, I guess from a technical perspective, because we help a number of clients out with customer retention, we often have to help them calculate it. So the technical definition is the percentage of customers who bought last year who then buy this year. That's the sort of generic definition. It will depend depending on the. Uh, the product or the service that people offer. Why is loyalty important, David? To put it simply, the cost of customer acquisition have gone up and continue to go up. All of the channels that you use to acquire new customers are becoming more expensive and I think that will become even more so with the new privacy regulations. So clearly, if you've got a body of people that have shopped with you before, if you've got information and data on those customers, it's going to be cheaper for you to talk to those customers and to get the spend of those customers than it is for you to attract new customers. Mark, what's your perspective on Yeah, I'm very similar. The, the new customer acquisition costs are, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten times the cost of actually extracting more orders from your existing customer base. So, and it's also a very good indicator of the success of the company to look at the customer attention that they get. If, if you don't have somewhere between a quarter and a third of your sales going to your existing customers in the normal course of events, then you start to have trouble because the cost of acquisition is going to be so high that your marketing spend is going to be exponentially higher and your, therefore your cost of actually generating those sales is going to be disproportionate. <clears throat> so in a minute we'll, we'll maybe just touch on the concept of loyalty and the degree to which we think it's relevant and it works, but 
I think for the definitions here, loyalty is not a scheme. Loyalty is a, is a concept that binds party A to party B. In that context, do we think there is loyalty in the market? Yes, for sure. I think there are plenty of brands that either we as customers or other people will spend the bulk of their time, energy and money. Let's take our phones. Uh, we're either loyal to Android or we're loyal to Apple. In retail, it's a little harder to come by, I think, but there are plenty of retailers that each of us will know and uh, be associated with where customers will spend the bulk of the money that they spend in any given year with a specific retailer because it fits their requirements, because it does what they want it to do for them. In my particular instance, uh, I'm a big fan of Amazon. Uh, it's not a popular thing to say in retail because they compete with almost everybody. But whenever I've got anything uh, that's a trivial expense, I will buy it from Amazon. More serious, I'll go elsewhere. But I find I'm tremendously loyal to the arch enemy. And do you guys think that loyalty as a concept, if it exists, which, which maybe we think it does, differs by sector or you know is there loyalty in buying a bag of sprouts relative to buying a, a, an investment purchase like a car do we think that there's you know there, there's the shades of gray there mark i'm not sure there's shades of gray but certainly loyalty does exist i mean you can have families who have bought one brand of car for their entire lifetime you know they've always bought fords or they've always bought renaults and i guess it might be true then that if you compare maybe UK grocery retailing with non-grocery retailing as an example loyalty might circle around value being a greater component of loyalty in some elements would that be true yes I mean a frequency of purchase or natural frequency of purchase will be a, a key part of the whole retention piece so it's a lot easier to have a good understanding of how well you're retaining clients if people shop with you every week for supermarket shops and you may even get to understand the degree to which you maximise share of wallet from that customer as David said earlier. Where you have a product where the natural cycle is that you're going to buy um, one rucksack every 15 years or one car every six years, it's going to be much harder to actually understand the likelihood of retention for those, for those people. Yes, I think my previous retail experience was with heels. Frequency of purchase is incredibly low with heels. Nevertheless, we would still like to think that customers had a level of loyalty and a level of engagement with us. And by that I would mean that if they were looking for furniture, we would be one of the brands, if not the brand, where they would start their search and, and start their purchase journey. So I think it is possible to develop retention. I think it is possible to develop loyalty if you're an infrequent purchase retailer. It's a little more difficult to measure it, but it doesn't stop you from trying to achieve it. Okay. So in a minute, we're going to come on to uh, our panel's views on some of the tools and techniques that you might use and some of the avenues of thinking. But maybe we can just give them, uh, in the next segment, a sense of who we think does it well. Clearly we don't know um, retention rates amongst necessarily the market, 
But as customers, we have a sense of who we think does a great job at retaining us as customers. So who would you pick out and why? David, who would you pick out from your list? Yeah, so what I'm looking for when I'm thinking of companies that succeed in customer retention and customer loyalty is does their proposition work and does it work consistently? So whether it's the product, whether it's the service, is it something that they are delivering time and time again in every interaction that you have with that brand? So if I were to take a nice premium brand that I think does a great job and has managed to develop a proposition which is very much around retention, we could take the clothing brand Spoke. Some people may not have heard of this brand, but what they produce is effectively trousers that will fit. Yeah, they sell other clothes on, but they sell trousers that will fit. And once you've discovered your size, you are gonna stick with this brand because you know that every time you use that brand, you're gonna get something that fits you and suits you. To me, that delivers the essence of what drives customer attention, which is a brand and a product that delivers what it says it will deliver and it delivers it time and time again. Mark, have you got one you particularly like? Well, my personal favourite would be Rafa, uh, where their whole ethos of Rafa was to get as many people cycling as possible, not just about the racing world, but that was very much used to generate a community around cycling. And they certainly went down the route of having cafes and everything, so you could really buy into the Rafa lifestyle at one. And as long as that fit of the product works with the life stage and the activities of the customer, there's no reason for people to go elsewhere. Mm. It's when those things go slightly out of kilter that the retention rates may start to drop. Right, right. Both great brands. I think, I think another brand, we've talked about relatively premium brands there, but I think you don't have to look much further than Aldi uh, for another brand which does incredibly well with customer retention. And it may not be the best example for this podcast because it's not a particularly digital brand. But again, here you've got a brand that says we are going to de- deliver good quality at an amazing price. They deliver it week in, week out, without, without failure. Imagine their customer loyalty is about as high as any brand in their sector. Uh, a great brand and one of our clients, so we're happy to have them on the list. Excellent. Okay, well, there's some exemplars, and of course there are millions more. And um, after this podcast, if anybody wants to know any more, please just give us a shout, and we can um, we'll have a secondary conversation. But let's move on now to some of our advice to some of the people listening about the things that they should be thinking about when either considering setting up um, a retention um, metric or scheme or trying to optimise one that may already exist. We heard earlier how expensive it is to acquire new customers, and the the old adage is probably more true now than ever, that the best customers you're ever gonna have are probably the ones you've already got. So in, in developing mechanisms to retain the ones you've got, let's talk about measurement first. First question, what should the guys listening be measuring in order to know where they are on the customer retention scale? Well, the first thing they really need to have a core understanding of is what is the customer retention that they actually have. And that is a relatively simple calculation of how many people 
bought last year and then how many people bought this year and the percentage of those who bought previously who bought this year is your customer attention. Now David I know you have some concerns about the challenges of the standard measure particularly with some of the clients you've worked with in the past. How does that unfold? Well the key issue for me would be level of customer satisfaction and I think you almost have to make it a religion in your business to really understand both quantitatively and more important qualitatively what the level of satisfaction your customers have with you. At both Heels and Snow and Rock the weekly customer satisfaction statistics were delivered to the board first thing on a Monday morning even before we delivered the sales and we probably had a bit of a tendency to focus on the negatives as opposed to the positives but we could see with the negatives there were things to change but literally every negative review was reported pretty well in full to the board. Now I think arguably that's a little bit reactive but I don't think you can underestimate the value of digging into why your customers feel about you in the way they feel about you. Most of us think it's a bit nebulous to do so, but it really isn't nebulous talking to your customers. Okay, so if that's how we measure the success of our ventures in the world of customer retention, what tools do we need? So I'm sure there'll be many people listening to this podcast who have got something They've probably got some tools, and but maybe some people who are just starting their journey. What things do they need to bind themselves to in order to be effective at running a positive customer retention campaign? I'm going to come to Mark first. I mean, the, the killer tool in terms of customer retention is email um, and the percentage of sales that you can generate through, through email. And whilst that varies by sector, it should be a very significant proportion uh, of your total sales, um, certainly of your repurchase rate. It's all about that journey of trying to align the outcome of what you do with the customer outcome. It's not necessarily about the short-term resale rate, um, although that has to be important. Yeah. David, what's your, your view on segmentation? It's a word often used in the CRM world and probably can mean many different things, but where, where's, your, where's your mind at with segmentation and its value? I think the value of segmentation very much depends on the type of business that you are and also, to be honest, the size of business that you are and the amount of resource that you have available. If I take that issue first, Heels, we had a very small team. Uh, Snow and Rock, we had a very small team. So if we'd come up with a seven, eight segment strategy, mm. we simply wouldn't have been able to come up with seven or eight different bits of content to satisfy those segments. But within our business, there were certain identifiable differences between the customer groups that we were selling to and within the product groups that we were selling. At its simplest form, if we were to look at snow and rock, if you're a winter sports customer, versus if you're a hiker and a walker, we are not going to send you the same email. So that's a case of looking at your business and saying, what are the distinguishable parts of our offer and the distinguishable customer groupings? And is it worthwhile putting the effort into creating different pieces of content for them? 
if you're a business that has multiple, then you want multiple segments. One thing I would say is that in a lot of businesses, more effort is put into segmentation than is warranted. The one area I would really focus on, if I was any business listening to this, is triggered emails. Once somebody is in the buying process, that is when they are of the highest value to you. Let's let's put it, give you a context here. If if you were at Heels and I knew that you'd bought a sofa three years ago, how much use is that to me really? But if I capture you on the website, if I capture you opening an email that's about sofas, if I capture you surf, uh, searching for velvet sofas, gosh, you know that's incredibly valuable to me. And so if I can create a piece of marketing, if I can create an email program around that behavior now, that's of incredible value. And that purchase journey, those triggered emails, I would suggest anybody listening, that would be almost the first place I would start if I'm looking at this channel. Okay. So that's gonna be about the, the place in the customer journey that somebody is, rather than the segment in which they're And that placed. sounds like you're hitting the point at which they're absolutely hottest. Correct. They've got something really relevant or something really attuned to their way of thinking at the moment, and you're going to hit that moment. Correct, yes. As you say, I like the phrase, where they're hottest. Yeah? Yeah. If, if I've got a piece of information about you that relates to two or three years ago, about something you did then, if, if you're not looking for sofas now, I'm guessing. But if I find you now, if I notice that today you made that search, then I really do know something that's relevant and is now, as opposed to guessing what you might be thinking. Okay. And in an ideal world, if you had known that that customer had come in and viewed a sofa in the store, then yeah. Bob's your uncle. That, to some extent, is the holy grail. But yes, if we can start chipping, that's another matter. If we can start chipping people and measuring exactly <laughs> what they've visited in our shops, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Okay, now one of the other elements to being able to conduct triggered emails or indeed levels of segmentation, notwithstanding um, having small teams that can't do everything, is the skills they need. And, and data is a word that's been popular for some years. What kind of skills do people need to have, Mark, when it comes to uh, managing and using data? I mean, clearly you need to have one of your team members or you know, one of your outsourced partners um, able to provide the data skills. It's, we're not talking data science levels of skills for the vast majority of people, um, but able to take, say, two databases and merge the results of those two databases together to get some insight onto what customer behavior is happening uh, is, is important. Um, but in some cases, you know, with basic sort of web analytics skills, once the process is set up, the interpretation of that data should be capable of being done in-house by the, the marketing or the e-com people. Similarly, generating content and write, the ability to write content stories should not be underestimated. That is a skill. I mean, we've probably all tried it in our various uh, pasts and histories. And it is not that easy to do in a way that is engaging with customers at the right stage of their customer journey. Yeah, I think picking on the subject of content, again, I touched before on how 
you can only have as many segments as you've got the capability to create content for those segments. Um, I wrote recently for Internet Retailing about what impact I felt ChatGPT would have on the content industry. And my view is there will still be a critically important role for humans and for the real insight into the human mindset that you can, well, I'm saying you can only really get from humans, but, but the creativity that enables you to cut through. For me, the content piece is utterly critical to customer retention. It's utterly critical, this concept that you're not just selling a product, you're selling a solution. You're selling something which is bigger than the product or service that you sell. You're selling something that will enhance your customer's life. And content is such an important part of A, bringing that to life, B, making your communications meaningful. If you are gonna have segments, if you are gonna run triggered campaigns, even if you're just gonna run batch and blast, you've got to produce content that people get some value out of. That's the trade-off for you signing up to the newsletter. That's the trade-off for them opening it. That's the trade-off for them not unsubscribing. You have to provide them with something which is either useful or educational or entertaining or deliver some value. That is about content. And for me, uh, and particularly for a lot of the small, medium-sized businesses, is the area that you should be seriously thinking about your level of capability and your level of investment. Great. Now, before we come on to what might end up being our kind of penultimate segment here about loyalty schemes per se, I just wanted Mark to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier that I think aligns to that part of our conversation. It's how does a business think about aligning its outcomes to those of a customer? Can you just explain that a little bit to us? Yeah, so in, I guess, more mature customer-focused organisations, the, the key thing is to make sure that what you are doing and what or what you are selling aligns to the customer outcome. So it's the classic thing of, um, I don't necessarily want to buy a lawnmower, I want to have my grass cut. It's understanding the difference between those, those two. Um, and by making sure that you're not just selling something, but you are saying, I understand why you bought this product and what you're going to do with this product, and therefore my success is aligned with your success, uh, that is the best possible way to get customer loyalty and customer attention. Okay, fabulous. Okay, I mentioned it. Um, we've used the word loyalty quite a lot in this podcast, and I think we've used it with the small L rather than the capital L. But in our penultimate section, I'd just like to touch on the panel's view of how important loyalty schemes are. There'll be many people listening who've got loyalty schemes. Um, doubtless there'll be people thinking some of them are working and some of them are not working. And there'll probably be people who don't have a loyalty scheme. So I guess my question to the panel is, are loyalty schemes important? And if you haven't got one, do you need to get one? David? Well, in a word, you do not need one. Okay, um, if your proposition is strong enough, and if Mark says if what you're doing aligns with what the customer ultimately wants to get from your product or service, then you do not 
need one. And indeed, if your product or service is not aligned with what the customer wants, no amount of loyalty scheme or marketing is going to paper over the cracks. There are, however, circumstances in which a loyalty scheme may create an advantage where the benefits of it might outweigh the costs. If you have a high frequency of purchase, for example, it may be that introducing a loyalty scheme is something which causes the customer to favour you over the competition. If you've got limited differentiation in your market, i.e. where you're selling something which is similar to what somebody else is selling. Similarly, it may be the thing that just creates the difference. But for me, it's fundamentally going to drive a marginal difference. And it's something where you are going to have to make that judgment as to whether or not the benefits that you get from incentivizing customers in that way are sufficient to outweigh the costs of running it. So ultimately, uh, a loyalty scheme is not a panacea to great CR activity. It's, it's one component only. Yes, it's one component. It can help um, boost sales short term because you can offer, uh, make offers to your existing clients without necessarily making the offer out into the wider market. So that in, will engender loyalty. Um, but also, it may just be a thank you to people who are your loyal customers. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, they can work from, from that point of view. You would argue that the free coffee in Waitrose for uh, cardholders uh, is one of those. Um, and there was a lot of negative press when they got rid of it yeah, for a while. Back, and now, now they've brought it back. Yeah, I think just picking up on what Mark said, one of the things I would say you should seriously be thinking about is how you treat your VIPs. Um, every, every retailer has VIPs. They have the customers that account for the, the greater proportion of their spend. And I do think it's valuable to treat them as though they're special, whether that's via rewards, whether that's via special access to product, whether it's via content, or whether it's via the letter from the CEO. So if there was one area where I was going to recommend you focus, whether you call it a loyalty scheme, whether you call it something else, it would be on really understanding how you nurture your VIPs, how you make them spend more with you, how you make them advocates. But there is, of course, an inherent value to the retailer and brand in having a loyalty scheme. So it's not to say necessarily from a customer perspective how much value that will bring but from a for the retailer point of view is that they get more data and the more data points they understand about you the better insight that they can generate and therefore the better they can tailor the, the products that they are offering to you long term whether or not that adds significant value in terms of increased profit and increased share of wallet I think is debatable we i think we've all seen retailers where it doesn't work mm. uh, and occasionally we've seen retailers that it does work in okay. um, so data and being able to do something with the data as david points from earlier you've got to be able to do something with the insight that you can get out of that data and if you're not going to do anything fundamentally different as a result of having that data then what's the point okay all right guys we're nearly at the end but i think as a, as a way of wrapping up 
Um, if our listeners want one thing to do, or one thing to think about, or one thing to kind of reflect upon in these um, last few moments of our podcast, what would your recommendation be? David first. For me, it's make it as human as possible. Make person-to-person connections. Most of us aren't multi-billion pound businesses where that becomes impractical. So find ways that you can connect your people to your customers. The more you can do that, the more engagement, the more connection they will have, and the more likely they are to be retained. Mark? I would say start tracking customer retention as a KPI. Make sure that people across the business understand it um, and expose it across the organisation. Fabulous. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you to Mark and to David for their insights today. And thank you to you for listening. We hope you'll join us again on the next one. Thank you. Goodbye.